Ladies and gentlemen, um, still a very good morning. It's a few more minutes. Um, and uh, very welcome to both of you on the stage. And um, as Nicholas already introduced you, but it's, it's a pleasure, Mr. Arsenio Dominguez, the new, the new, maybe not the right, but the Secretary General. Still new. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, of the International Maritime Organization. Very welcome to the stage. We are very pleased to have you here. And also, Mrs. Uh, Fotini Yonadu, um, you are the Acting Director of Waterborne Transport and Head of the Maritime Safety Unit in the European Commission, also called DG MOVE. Welcome to both of you. Um, so, um, before we get into the questions, I would just like to also thank Nicholas, naturally, for hosting this event. But I would also like, uh, on behalf of everyone here, to express our gratitude to our seafarers, and not least all the challenges and hardships they are facing these days, not least in the Red Sea, also in the Black Sea, and in many other places. And I think we can give them a round of applause for what they are doing, serving the global community. <laughs> now, uh, Ms. Melina, she said many, many good things. Uh, one uh, really important one is how collaboration is key. And I would like us to just keep that in the back of our minds as we progress through this discussion. Now, if I could turn to you, Arsenio, on the first one. Um, what are your ambitions and goals for your role as the head of the IMO? And um, I will also come back to you, Fotini, with the same question. And maybe you could also reflect a little bit on are there any expectations to each other when answering this question? Azenio, if you may start, please. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Um, and it's a pleasure being here. And uh, this is a good opportunity, as you mentioned, for me to also highlight the importance for us to look after our people, our seafarers. Um, the challenges that they are facing right now, in particular, in the Red Sea, uh, which is uh, unjust. Seafarers are innocent victims, and for me it's very important to highlight not just the impact that this situation is having on the world economy and the impact on shipping trade, and as we defend freedom of navigation, but always is to highlight the human element of this crisis, and that is the negative effect on seafarers. So I will continue to encourage you all to put seafarers first and safety first before we move to the next um, aspects and the negative challenges that we are facing right now. When it comes to my vision, I could spend hours talking to all of you about it. Um, it's, it's an incredible sector in the International Maritime Organization. It's an incredible institution. Um, for all the challenges that we face, we always come at the end with solutions and regulations that can be implemented globally. And I always will refer to global regulations for a global industry. There are aspects of the organizations that are looking forward and for the sector to change, to enhance our diversity, transparency, and inclusion, to be more visible. And then when it comes to a regulatory process, 
to continue to enhance our regulations on safety, security, and to meet that agreement and the goals that we established last year in July when we adopted the 2023 GHG strategy. It comes with challenges, and you just heard the president um, mentioning some of them. We don't produce energy, but they rely on us. So we have a role to play in highlighting that importance to that sector and through all the member states. And that's something that I've been working on very closely already in engaging IMO, not just within the maritime sector, but with the environmental institutions, the energy institutions, and even the foreign affairs um, ministers that actually participate on the whole global agenda to decarbonize not just the maritime sector, but all sectors in order to meet the Paris Agreement uh, of 2015. At IMO, we are more than just meetings. We also support all the member states, and this is the key for our, for our solutions, not to focus on, on, on regions and countries in particular, but it's how we bridge the gap between those that can move forward faster and how we can bring the others together. So in becoming more diverse, more transparent, and more inclusive, it's also keeping the organization working together and embracing the knowledge and experience of all stakeholders, from the member states to the shipping industry, to the environmental regulations and the training institutions. And for me, it's moving all as one, as the big family that we are, um, for a very big business that trades globally for the benefits of everyone in this planet. Thank you. Thank you very much. Fotini, please. Kalimera, thank you for having me here. I couldn't agree more with the vision you have set. And indeed, it's of paramount importance that we keep in mind the safety of our seafarers in the middle of crisis, multiple crises we have been transversing, and the collaboration aspect. I think that's key. Now, I will dive a little bit more in the details uh, on what are our priorities and expectations uh, from IMO. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, from all the challenges this industry is facing, I'm going to first speak about decarbonization, which is the biggest challenge. Um, as you all know, in the EU, we have put uh, now uh, in place, or we are putting it in place, the most ambitious uh, regulatory framework in the world that is an integrated one covering the aspects of supply, demand, and infrastructure for fuels. And of course, our first priority is to make its implementation a success. Um, for that, we are working very closely with member states and all stakeholders to put in place the detailed rules uh, so that they are fit for purpose. And of course, it's not going to be easy, it's a challenging uh, phase, but uh, we are going to adjust uh, through the dialogue. Then of course, and it has been said many times here, the full effect of such a measure can only be produced if IMO adopts the mid-term measures we need to make um, the very ambitious 
GSG strategy a reality. And there, the expectations of all, I think, around the world, including of us, are very high. Um, you know that as a European Union, uh, we are advocating uh, the combination of a fuel standard and a levy, or an economic measure that makes sense. And discussions are difficult. Uh, so there, uh, again, as we have done last July, we are ready to work with you and with all the partners around the world in order to reach an agreement um, that is acceptable to all, but at the same time puts this sector in a firm decarbonization path. And third priority on our side is that we will make whatever it takes to support um, European industry and the sector, all the actors, uh, to make this transition happen. From our EU funding instruments to the boosting of production uh, of um, alternative fuels, uh, to advancing uh, technological readiness, uh, to um, analyzing uh, whether financial products are fit for purpose and boosting the right financial products to uh, incentivize investments. There are a whole array of tools we have at our disposal that we will be using in order to support this tra transition. Towards digitalization, data has been sent, um, advanced, advanced levels of automation. These are areas where we will work and we would like really to work closely with you. And of course, uh, upskilling, reskilling of seafarers, um, the uh, review of STCW and uh, a discussion on the living and working conditions and how we improve them to attract, to increase the attractiveness of uh, the profession. Thank you very much. We heard um, earlier on during the morning discussions um, that as the IMO and the EU moves at different pace, are we, can we expect any harmonization of the initiatives that you have? I guess it's for me this, uh, this uh, question. I mean, uh, we, have, uh, we have review clauses uh, in our Fit for 55 package uh, that will be activated once we have the uh, adoption uh, by IM of uh, the basket of midterm measures. We will be doing the analysis and uh, we will decide at that time. But it's clearly the idea is if we have good measures at IMO uh, to, to try to avoid as much as possible uh, regional divergences. We have a very good cooperation with the European Union and with the Commission. And the member states of the European Union are also member states of IMO. And we all follow the same principle. Now, it's continue to understand the challenges that we have in the organization. Despite the, and we are aware of what the situation around the world right now, we made an anonymous decision last July when we establish a clear pathway towards the decarbonization of the industry by around 2050. 
And that came with a very challenging timetable to finalize the adoption of technical and economic measures. And I will keep talking and referring to a pricing mechanism and not labeling it right now. It's the best way to move forward in order to have them in place for entry into force in 2027. And it's keeping the membership together. Now there will be compromises and it's how we move forward with the technical and the economic uh, measure. But we are there. You will see in the next few weeks the new proposals that we are receiving for the upcoming session of the Marine Environment Protection Committee, how the countries are working on the common areas of those economic proposals in order to move forward. And once we achieve that goal, I really appreciate your comments because that's what I look forward, that then we end up with just one global mechanism that provides the support to all the member states, to the industry, to carry out this transition if we are to remain global. And this is where this cooperation will continue to be enhanced and will continue to understand each other with the objective and keeping faith of the work that IMO continues to develop, the goals that we continue to meet, and the achievements that we actually made amongst 175 member states. Thank you. It leaves me rather optimistic that we will have an harmonization of the regulations. Looking forward to that. That will be important for the industry. Um, we cannot sort of um, proceed with this uh, small discussion without looking also at the realities today. So we have, as mentioned already, the crisis in the Red Sea. We have, uh, due to climate change, most likely a draft in the Panama Canal. So um, we see that the ton miles increases a lot these days for reasons nobody can control, at least not in this room. Um, and um, my question is really how, how, if at all, will this be taken into account when looking, for instance, at the emission targets defined uh, by the IMO or indeed by the EU taxation uh, system through the ETS. Any reflections on that, please? It wasn't rehearsed. Huh? This okay. is not rehearsed. We alternate uh, <laughs> the order. Um, indeed, um, we, we are living in a very, very um, difficult geopolitical context and uh, we have clearly seen um, this last year uh, a big increase um, in terms of tone miles. Um, well, the uh, war of aggression uh, of uh, Russia has, of course, contributed to this, and now we are seeing the Red Sea crisis. Um, and the routine indeed uh, adds uh, to uh, both emissions and to costs, and will be costing more in terms of ETS allowances. But most importantly, uh, I mean, the situation in Red Sea puts it really in danger ships and human lives. And that should be our priority first. Um, and that's where the EU, as you might know, is preparing for a new um, mission 
that will be operational, adopted uh, uh, by the 19th of February, um, so that um, naval assets can accompany uh, the ships to uh, sail through the Red Sea. Now, to come back to, to your question, um, for me, it's not, we don't have a choice. Uh, we have, we, you referred yourself in the droughts uh, in the Panama Canal. So beyond the geopolitical situation, climate change is changing and is impacting shipping directly. So for me, the targets are non-negotiable. Uh, and when it comes uh, to ETS, uh, ETS is one of the uh, economy-wide measures uh, that uh, the EU has adopted. It's non-negotiable. I would say the same for the IMO targets. They are non-negotiable. We need to find ways to reach them through a design, proper design of mid-term measures. We have no choice but to uh, really uh, reach out our goals. There are challenges that we've been facing in, in this industry, but we, were, we, we haven't been alone. Uh, the industry was recovering from the negative effects of the COVID pandemic. And immediately we started to have the geopolitical uh, situation around the world that it's also uh, creating that additional uh, difficulties. But we are all aware of the actions that we need to take for the longer term to protect the planet. And that's where you're absolutely right. We have a, a goal established in the strategy and several measures to review um, the, the, any effects that may have on trade and on the countries uh, in order to make the right decisions. And this is a transition. We haven't stopped at IMO. We are currently carrying out that impact assessment on the fleet and on states. Let's continue monitoring of the unwanted measures that ships have to take now, for example, sailing on a longer route around South Africa. So we do acknowledge all these challenges, and of course, they will be part of the conversations that we have. But it's always keeping that goal in mind and the actions that would allow us to get there. Yes, we know that there are further developments on the field. We know that there are uh, safety aspects that we need to review. There's the training exercise um, that has to be put in place. But we continue to work together, and that's what the organization has said and stated, that, it, that the measures will be fuel agnostic and technology agnostic in order to utilize all the options that we have there. And it's for us to work in favor of all those options and not to compete with each other because it happens sometimes in the different type of fuels and the ones that some select in relation to others. We need to look into what the new patterns of trade may be as well. And here is where all the measures like the Green Maritime Corridors that continue to be established will provide that additional information and expertise for the organization to make the right decisions. So it's to continue to have that call to all of you that we have set the goals, they are ambitions, they are required in order for us to meet that global agenda. It's not just the IMO, and of course it's for the future 
of all our families as well, the future generations, and is what expertise you can bring and continue to share with us as we move forward in the discussions. Thank you very much, both of you. Uh, Fotini, I think you mentioned also on the security threat of the seafarers, what, the, what Europe is doing. Uh, and we all remember during the pandemic how both of your organizations stepped up to help the seafarers. Are you able to sort of make sure that the seafarers during the distress they are experiencing now, that we keep that concern on top of diplomatic and political agendas? Definitely. And it's, and it's something that I can say that I started from the very first day that I took over earlier this year. And the focus continues to be on the seafarers. Um, in my interactions with the United Nations Security Council, it was mainly to highlight two specific points, the safety of the seafarers and the freedom of navigation. And that continues to remain as part of the negotiations that are ongoing within the United Nations um, on finding solutions to different uh, difficulties that are facing around, around the world. And it's for us to also recognize that and, and to continue to highlight the work that the seafarers, innocent people, are carrying out on board the vessels. This year, uh, the theme for the World Maritime Day of IMO is focus on safety as we celebrate 50 years of the safety of life a sea convention and it's utilizing the fact that since all the discussions on the environment has raised the profile of the organization and the shipping industry use that positively to continue to highlight the importance of safeguarding our seafarers and we continue to have those conversations for as difficult as they may be with other UN agencies that are supporting us uh, in finding solutions with the industry and the member states of the region in order to safeguard the safety of the seafarers and shipping trade. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yes, would you like to add something? Yes, uh, just to say that uh, indeed uh, this is uh, a big concern for us as well, uh, that um, since the very first um, um, illegal uh, boarding uh, of uh, Houthis, um, the EU has called uh, for release of the vessel and of uh, the crew. Uh, that, of course, we have been calling and using both uh, in terms of commission, the external action service, using all diplomatic fora uh, to find solutions, to condemn, of course, but also to find solutions to this crisis. Again, uh, what is, I think, the most important contribution we can do as EU is uh, the putting in place of this um, new EU uh, maritime security operation. Um, in addition to that, uh, we are also discussing um, with our external action service and member states, if we can further enhance traffic um, information on the maritime picture uh, between civil and military, uh, that will also contribute to the greater safety of seafarers. We are in contact uh, with our industry and social uh, partners, and of course we will be glad to cooperate uh, with you uh, in any further action we can do to support. I just don't want to forget something. Uh, 
the shipping industry, the representatives have very recently published the best management practices five, uh, which of course is supporting um, the analysis that needs to be put in place in order to make the decisions about transiting there and in welcoming them. I look forward to that experience and expertise to be brought to the organization, hopefully at the next session of the, Mar uh, the Maritime Safety Committee for further analysis in relation to the measures that the organization together with the inputs from the industry uh, put in place when we were facing the challenges of piracy off the coast of Somalia. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, I would like to turn now to the EU ETS, if I may. So this year was the, the introduction of the EU ETS, and naturally the funds being collected, as far as I understand, goes partly to the EU Innovation Fund and partly to the member states. And uh, naturally, the industry is very much preoccupied with the money being channeled back into shipping to drive R&D efforts. Uh, could you share some light on what's, what's happening, Fotini, please? Yes, absolutely, and thank you for the question, and indeed. Um, the short answer to, to your question is that the maritime industry will benefit a lot. Uh, from uh, the revenues collected uh, by ETS. Now, how it works, ETS, as you rightly said, part of the money goes to EU member state budget and part of the money goes to the innovation fund. Um, in, in practice, the biggest part goes to member states, so like uh, three-fourths of uh, the revenues are going to member states. And, but the member states have indeed an obligation to use them uh, in relation to uh, climate change related actions. And here first is an opportunity for the maritime industry by reaching out to the national govern governments to make sure that a part can go back uh, to uh, maritime. The second part is the innovation fund, and it's not a small budget. Uh, our uh, our uh, um, estimation is that from now to 2030, uh, we will have uh, like 40 billion of euros, um, all sectors uh, included, um, in order to um, incentivize the deployment, the large-scale deployment of clean fuels, technologies, and uh, energy efficiency solutions. From this, and this is an exception, the only sector that has uh, an earmarking in the innovation fund revenues is maritime. There is no other sector that has this earmarking. And this earmarking, our estimation is that it will be uh, counting like uh, about for 1.6 billion of euros. Uh, from now to 2030. So that's a big element of reassurance, and this is a minimum. Uh, so there is a lot for the maritime industry to gain back. Um, we should not forget either that 
big parts of what Innovation Fund is doing will also benefit the maritime industry. For instance, we have just launched uh, the biggest uh, pilot auction for um, uh, renewable hydrogen in Europe, 800 millions. This will also serve uh, the maritime industry. And just to say that um, Innovation Fund, okay, this industry is discovering it. And we have heard complaints um, especially from, I, I would say, the shipbuilding industry, marine equipment manufacturers, of the complexity of the rules. Um, we have rectified this. We have a call open now that is closing in April, 4 billion of euros, maritime fully eligible, and it gets a bonus. If a maritime project gets a bonus so as to compensate uh, for any kind of uh, criteria that... Uh, so, yes, I can say safely there will be big f benefits going back to the maritime industry, and these benefits will spread over the world because they will make the path towards decarbonization of the sector more... Uh, less costly somehow. But of course, the big challenge, and um, Mr. Travlo said it, is collaboration. Uh, because what we want to see is, in fact, that the cluster comes together. Shipping, ports, uh, shipbuilding, marine equipment manufacturers, and draws, develops the right projects that will be then uh, funded and supported uh, by, by the Innovation Fund. Thank you, Fotsimi. Um, yes, of course. Apologies. I, I know that this question was, was mainly there, but uh, I just would like to pick on, on, on a couple of things. Um, in respecting the decisions that are moving forward, and, and, and thank you for the explanations on, on the utilization. Um, of course, it will not be a surprise that, uh, that you will hear that from me when we talked about uh, supporting the maritime sector and the industry. Um, you know, we look for not just one region, for a global uh, input. And it's how this it's going to also support those countries that are more in need indeed that assistance in order to also meet the goals and to keep looking forward to that um, balanced approach um, and harmonized implementations of the IMO instruments. Um, so, of course, we will I look forward to continue conversations. And as you talked about cooperation, it's also how through, as the EU moves forward, how that cooperation can also come in part with the organizations and our member states in order to continue to support these transitions that we are all embarking together on in line with the strategy um, and looking forward as well by the time that in 2027 we will have entering into force the technical and the economic measures. Thank you both. Maybe th there's a, a little bit of an, um, a yellow flag to all of you here. And uh, I'm sorry to pick on Norway since the Norwegian uh, ambassador to Greece is here. Um, but the member states, they also need to invest the money into R&D. So I know in the case of Norway, this goes straight into the state coffer, which is not very productive and it's not very helpful. So I think that's maybe something for all of you to make a point of when you have discussions with your own uh, governments and, and, uh, and try to push that. Sorry for 
bringing that up, but I thought it was important. And since Norway is not leading by good example, I felt obliged to do it. Um, Now, um, I would like to turn to you, Arsenio, and um, there is a, a lot of talk, discussions around um, a global levy or similar at the IMO. And um, as we stand now, how, in your view, how likely is it that the IMO will implement a price on carbon? And if so, how might such funds be collected and positively distributed to the benefit of the industry? It's a very simple and straightforward question. See, we're helping each other here already. Um, I'm not going to surprise you, but you need to have faith in IMO <laughs> and in yourselves. We're sending the wrong message is if we are doubting that we're going to meet the agreements, the goals established on the agreement from July last year. We have several proposals on the table. And they're actually reducing. Last year we had five proposals for an economic measure. And again, I'm not going to use the word levy or tax or anything like that. It's an economic measure. It's a pricing mechanism. Let's focus on the architecture and how we're going to utilize that measure to support the transition of the industry towards its decarbonization. So the next sessions this year of the Marine Environmental Protection Committee will focus on that. We, start, we ended last year with five proposals on the table. We're starting the year with four proposals on the table. And that's what I was mentioning earlier, that the parties are coming together and the proposals continue to look alike a lot more. So we are on the right track. Don't doubt yourselves because you're going to pass that on outside. And we don't need that. We were all together last year. We continue to be together this year. Now, the conversations will ongoing. That's why I'm not going to give you a full answer. Because once we have the architecture, and I expect that by the end of this year, we will have a clearer picture. Of course, in parallel, we will have the conversations on how we're going to utilize the funds. We have examples from other UN agencies, uh, other organizations uh, that have actually established similar processes. So we're not starting from zero. There will always be the oversight from the organization into how it will be implemented by 2020 as it was agreed last year. But it's that, it's the fact that we continue to have those very dynamic exchanges and the fact that we are bridging the gap between all the proposals that makes me even more optimistic uh, to in meeting in the organization meeting the targets for 2025 adoption of those measures in 2027 entering to force there will be compromises we have the technical measures and it needs to be supported with an, a pricing mechanism but we're on the right track and that i can guarantee to you is that good enough? That's very good. Thank you very much. Um, Fotini, you wanted to help out? Please. Well, I, I'm not so sure <laughs> that it will exactly help out here, but, uh, well, good spirit of cooperation for sure. Uh, 
I, I mean, uh, from our side, well, we don't know where this discussion will end up. It's a difficult discussion. As I said, we are proposing uh, a fuel standard together with a levy, and uh, we are seeing a huge reluctance uh, in uh, what concerns the levy. Uh, I'm not so sure um, that we are yet there. Of course, there need to be compromises, but. Uh, uh, we need to have a genuine economic measure that makes sense. So for us, why we are saying um, a levy is important? First, because it will allow to push forward energy efficiencies. And we have huge margins still there if we, to, to exploit the energy efficiency aspects to reach our 2030 targets. Second, it will allow to push for uh, early uh, production of uh, zero and near zero fuels that uh, we need absolutely in order to reach the 2050 target. And third and very important, I think it, it makes a collective pot that is absolutely essential for the just and uh, fair and equit equitable transition. This will be for us, I mean, as you, uh, we suggest that this will be rejected um, to the production, distribution, and use of fuels, so back to the industry, but also to um, address the disproportionate negative impacts of the most vulnerable countries. And in fact, there is a lot of talk, there is a lot of misunderstanding on our side. We will continue to explain to all our partners uh, what are the advantages, including uh, for uh, those uh, countries that are uh, thinking that uh, they will be those that uh, will be disproportionately affected. I know it's not an easy task, but we will continue to do it. <laughs> You will not hear me using words as, such as difficult, because for us, they're just you know, additional challenges and opportunities. But it's a compromise that we need to find from all those proponents and not to stick to just one proposal. We need to keep the options open. We all want the same thing. The goals that you outline is the goals that are embedded in the strategy. But it's how we get there. And on that is where the cooperation and the compromises will take place. But that's what I am always good at. I'm sure that many of you doubted last year that we were going to achieve the strategy that we agreed. And it's the same reason what I'm telling you. They are not difficult conversations. We know where we are. We understand their concerns. It's how we address them. They may be challenging. But the organization continues to demonstrate that we can do it. And it's just understanding that it's not just one proposal on the table, it's not just one member state or 10. It's the whole membership and the input that we also get from the stakeholders. And that's how we're going to make the achievements at IMO. I don't think you need a moderator, please go no, ahead. No, sorry, no, just to react, don't misunderstand me. Uh, we, of course, very conscious that we need to reach a compromise. And we are ready to work with you and the, all the partners. Our red line is that this compromise needs 
to be in line with the ambitions of the strategy we have all adopted last year. Okay. All right, so uh, the red lights are flashing. There are more questions uh, in my notes. I, I'm sorry, we will not be able to, to address them. Uh, but I will challenge you on one last one, and it requires a yes or a no answer. So see if you can try that one. Um, is shipping able to achieve the goals set out? Yes. Well done. Well, I can also say yes, if, if you want a short answer, yes, I think we fully confident. I think we needed a short answer in the interest of time. Uh, thank you very much. It was really interesting to listen to you. Well done. <laughs>